the intent of disruption from a kingdom perspective is to restore, whereas mm-hmm. shock functions as a grenade that just blows up without any consciousness about the outcome. Hi, and welcome to Storia, where storytellers disrupt. I'm David Neronia. And I'm Fabiano Altamora. Remember to subscribe, like, download, and give us that five-star review. You know, today we, 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 we pride ourselves, I think, somewhat in the idea of what is disruptive storytelling. But like, you know, there's, I feel there's a difference between disruptive storytelling in the world and disruptive storytelling in the kingdom. Yep. Or especially from the audience point of view, right? Mm-hmm. I think when you look at Jesus, he was always very disruptive. But like, what we probably approach this very differently in some ways, just from a style point of view, I yeah. think. But like... What is disruptive storytelling to you? I think for me, it has to do with uh, the, the ideas. Um, I mean, we teach so many classes that kind of go after this idea mm-hmm. of storytelling. You've got theology of the art. I've got kingdom storytelling. In kingdom storytelling, I think one of the principles, one of the things that we think about and talk about, because it's a foundational kind of paradigm thing for all of our artists mm-hmm. at school, is just how we view God and how we view story itself. So I think we have to remember that first, God, the ultimate storyteller, is a loving storyteller, mm-hmm. right? So he's coming at it from the heart. In terms of the word disruptive, when I look at the parables and I look at Jesus, I find that his ideas are the disruptive thing. So it's not to say that style doesn't matter or concept or directorial approach or writing style or voice. All of these things, sure, they, I think they, they add to the idea of disruption. Mm-hmm. But I think for me, the core of disruption comes from ideas. Yeah, because I think sometimes as, as directors, depending on your style and your bent, yep. we want to provoke, mm-hmm. we want to shock at times, sure. right? But I think we, we're seeing that a lot. Yeah. Nowadays, right? I mean, we're seeing a lot of things that we think really are really shocking. But I just think they're old and boring. Like, listen, you want to do a nude scene in a film? It's become boring. So let me ask you a question, because you that's an interesting word or distinction to kind of go after. Do you, I don't think you do, but do you see disruption and shock as synonymous? And if not, how would you define no, those I, different? No, I don't. I think, I think shock is grossly self-indulgent uh i like if you're trying to shock your audience i don't think that's good artistic storytelling i personally don't so do, so do you think it's a matter of intent and heart posture of author or storyteller of whoever's in control of the piece do you think that intention is the main difference between shock and disruption yeah well i wouldn't say dis- disruption and shock with a with a with synonymous no, no, not synonymous. I'm actually wondering if you think that they're, if not the opposite, very different. And if so, how? Yeah, because like Jesus was a disruptor. When he when he fashioned the whip mm-hmm. in the temple, mm-hmm. right? And he then patiently, mm. in his own time, not reactively, responsively, then went and upturned all the tables because like you have made the house of the Lord into a den of thieves. Mm. So I think that was disruption to restore back to holiness. Uh, so then it's also, so it's the heart posture or the intent of the disruptor, storyteller, director, whatever. It's the idea or the heart posture. And then on top of that, it's also kind of like the end goal as well is what distinguishes 
disruption from shock or these other things that yeah. look like disruption, but they're not. Right. Because I think, you know, something like shock would be it's disruptive. I don't think it is. It's just like it. It's the difference between what could be offensive and disruptive, I guess. I think disruption is is shaking the foundation so that we can be taken to that next level of glory, I think. What I hear you say, which is really cool, and I, I think I really deeply agree with it, is that the intent of disruption from a kingdom perspective is to restore, whereas mm -hmm. shock functions as a grenade that just blows up without any consciousness about the outcome. Right. And for me, I don't, I, I, I mean, listen, I don't know. I'm sure there is obviously a place for that mm. in storytelling. I, I'm not sure I su subscribe to that. I think that, you know, even, even in The Passion of the Christ, mm. I think that you mean Mel's like the film, or do you just mean like in general the film? Okay, yeah, yeah. I think it was it was gratuitous. Really? You know, have you not seen it? Oh no, no, no. I mean, I've I, I've seen it. Do you think it was gratuitous? I, I would actually say that it is shocking. It's definitely shocking. It's definitely shocking, but it was also true. But it was true. But nobody has ever really. No. Done what Mel had done. He visualized the he brutality. He visualized it. Because like when Robert Powell did it in Jesus of Nazareth, it was kind of like a, it felt like a production of the RSC doing Jesus. You know, he, he was, it was a beautiful piece. Zeffirelli directed it. But I mean, it wasn't what Mel Gibson did in The Passion of the Christ. When, that's where I believe sh you can use shock. I agree. To actually highlight the point of, guys, we've, 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 we've made this really clinical. Mm -hmm. It was gratuitous and shocking because that's what happened. I see. I think when I hear the word gratuitous, not to mince words or whatever, I think when I hear the word gratuitous, it's like you went too far. It was too much is my understanding of the word mm. gratuitous. I know what you mean. It, it, it was it was overwhelming. Mm -hmm. It was. But I think it was the first time that. Honestly, I think I understood what Jesus actually physically went through. I don't think I understood it till then, man. I mean, you can read it in the scriptures. You can teach it as a Sunday school teacher. I know you have. I have. Right? We say Jesus died on the cross for us. We say that, you know, I, I don't even know that I actually taught, you know, the whipping and what happened in the court outside of, you know, maybe the Pontius Pilate and the dialogue and, you know, the conversation about the dreams. But, you know, typically with kids, you're not going to go in that far. You know, it, it's it's probably scary and it would probably be maybe, I don't know, some might disagree too much. Uh, maybe there's a time and an age. I believe I've watched it with all of my kids other than my daughter. Yeah. And I think we watched it and we made it a point to watch it once we felt that I think our youngest uh, boy at the time, Isaiah, was ready. Mm-hmm. Because I think I wanted to, him to understand on some level, to understand the the of course the divinity of Christ, but the humanity of what of what our of what this God Man mm -hmm. did for us. Anyways, for me, it was the first time that I understood it. Yeah, and I think what you also saw was how disruptive Jesus was as a person. Always, you know, even the fact, and this is disruption. The fact that he chose not to say a word in the midst of being beaten and brutally murdered and still disruptively said on the cross, Father, mm -hmm. forgive them for they know not what they do. And we see Jesus. Sometimes we see perfection, right? When you're looking and you go, how can I play Jesus? Perfect. It's so easy. It's just so one dimensional. I'm like, if you play a perfect character, you are choosing to say no to every sin and indulgence 
by will, mm -hmm. that I'm not mastered by anything, which means, oh my goodness, this guy is harder than every character to play because every other character deals with, I mean, dealing with tremendous conflict, obviously, but like dealing with more conflict than anybody's ever dealt with ever. And then from another perspective, from a perspective that we can't even possibly begin to understand. So the best we can do, it's almost like any biopic, right? You hear this, I was listening to Tom Hanks talk about playing Colonel, the Colonel that, uh, you know, helped promote the promoter behind Elvis Presley in the last film. It's a fantastic podcast, which I recommend mm -hmm. everybody listen to. Uh, Guy Raz does this hour and a half interview and he, go, he walks through his acting process. He walks through how he developed the character. He walked mm -hmm. through how he got to know uh, the Presley family and how their assessment of this man was different than the myth of the man. How the man had a tremendous amount of humanity, but he, he was a carny. And so he had this salesman snake oil thing about him as well. And But he talked about how, and you hear this almost from every actor that actually has to play. And I've actually played two human beings, Irving Berlin and Frankie Valli. And I'll tell you that, I mean, on a good day, you can find some approximation mm -hmm. of some of their little aspects, voice, gait, you know, but really you're playing an aspect or a version of, and I wonder if it's the same about Jesus. But, you know, back to this idea of, of mm. disruption, this thought occurred to me. We say that Jesus was a disruptor, but I wonder sometimes when I think about people who are disrupt, you know, you think about the kid in the class mm. who makes the fart joke, oh, yeah, yeah. right, or disrupts yeah. the teacher. Clearly Jesus, we're not saying that Jesus was that kind of disruptor. I think when we say that Jesus was disruption, a disruptor, it's less a commentary on Jesus's personality or him being this, this character and more a commentary on the culture and the reality that he was inserted into that needed mm -hmm. to be blown up. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I wonder if you could use another word, maybe that disruption or disruptor is restoring the standard. I like the idea of restoration deeply. You know what I mean? Yep. Because it gives us an intent. It gives us a reason why someone comes in. If I come in just to blow something up or because I disagree with you, which is what we see right now on social media, I just mm -hmm. dis disagree with you. So I'm going to annihilate you. We can't handle this disagreement anymore. I don't think that's the kind of disruptor Jesus was. I think no. Jesus came with the father's heart into a culture that, that, and frankly, I think he was also disrupting how people were talking about his father. Yeah, 100%. He came as a son saying, that's not who my father no. is. And that's not who your father is. And your tradition was without power. And it's not a direct representation of heaven. I mean, God's, as storytellers, I believe that our job is to show heaven on earth. Right. You know. So maybe I, we're always disrupting if, if heaven, if we're not seeing heaven on earth, then is it our job to disrupt this current reality so that so that we can see the face of God. And that, I don't know if I fully flesh that out, what that looks like if I'm directing a mainstream play, but I think that, I, I think it was um, Ivana Chubbuck, who is a very mainstream acting coach. And I think it was Monst Monster, where- Oh, Halle Berry. That was Monster's Ball. Oh, right, 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 right. I think it was Charlize Theron oh, right. playing Monster. Okay. And at the end, it says every character's got to have some semblance of hope. Oh, that's good. And basically what happened at the end, Charlie Theron's character kind of pounded the floor. And she was like, there's no hope in that. Mm. So when you, when, you, when you pound the floor, then look up, that gives a semblance of hope, which I like that idea. Well, I think what we're starting to get at, and this, this, this I, I 
I deeply, deeply believe, and I think it's really important for the church to understand. I think it's important for all storytellers that want to be kingdom storytellers. Mm. Because listen, if we say kingdom storytelling, we're not just trying to sell a book because we put kingdom on top of it or something like that. It's not Jesus frosting. It's not religious frosting. I think what we're saying is, is that kingdom, we're defining storytelling, the very intent and definition of it by that qualifier Mm -hmm. right before it. So Mm -hmm. it's not just an adjective, it's a mission. It's Mm -hmm. It's a belief that if you're going to tell a story, it has to be unto building the kingdom with everything that that means. And so far, what I hear you say, which I love, is it's got to be about restoration. Mm -hmm. It's got to be about hope. It's got to be about revealing the Father in some way, shape, or form. And we're not talking about Pollyanna storytelling that just looks like a pure flicks film. That's not... That's not what we're saying. It's what it often gets interpreted into. Mm-hmm. I actually think that being a kingdom storyteller can can be quite provocative. Oh, I mean, goodness me, was Jesus, did Jesus not? I mean, provocative. Okay, here's the it, thing. Meaning like it can provoke thought. I'm not talking in the sexual way. No, 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 no. I'm not meaning that provocative or evocative. It's good. I mean, you know, it evokes, it ever yeah. evokes a response. Like, you know, you and I prefer rather than kind of, you know, always always kind of paying everything off, you know, like always answering every question. It's leaving mm-hmm. the audience somewhat hanging, mm-hmm. you know, so they can go away and think. I remember I was reading, do you remember the artist Seal? Oh, I love Seal. So I had one of his, one of his, um, one of his albums. Mm-hmm. I can't remember which one it was. Is it the one with the black and white cover? I with think the, it yeah, is, yeah. 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 And I was looking through album. and he was like, I never write my lyrics. Mm. In my whatever, what were they called? Those inserts, oh, like the sleeves, the sleeves, the cover art and so, because yeah. you know, one day you may come and you may sing a song, and it may be completely nothing that I'm singing about, and then you know, it's like we're all like the, the seven-year-old. Have you ever caught yourself? You've heard this song a hundred times. You're like, absolutely. It's like Michael Jackson songs. I can't understand a word. His diction is so bad. It's always shamo and. Shimon and he he. <laughs> so I love that about it. It's like you you can decide what the lyrics are somewhat. Yeah. And the question really, if if I think if we qualify everything to the audience, I think we insult them. Well, okay, so here's another principle that we talk about at BCA a lot that maybe the the best thing that a storyteller can do is to ask really great questions, great questions. versus feeling compelled to answer all of the questions before the audience has even had time to wonder what right. you're asking. The one thing you want to try and get rid of is exposition. Yes. As much to. as possible. As much as possible, I think. Yeah. Well, listen, some of it is necessary, right? Because we've got to know where the heck we are right. and who people are. But, right. but if you do it well, if you do, if you know, yeah. if you give me location, if you give me great action and circumstance and yeah, the yeah, theme yeah. is blah, 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 all that kind of stuff. All right. So. Oh, hi. So you're the 48 year old doctor <laughs> from Boston, Massachusetts. Who really <laughs> I was talking to my screenwriters the other day and they were like, well, you know, D- David, so, you know, what, what does bad exposition sound like? I said, it sounds like <laughs> when one character says to another, another character, that character's name, age, and something, they already know that the other character already knows. That's when the exposition, I said, if you do that, I will punch you. (laughs) So anyways, they got the message loud and clear. All right. So we've established, there's a couple of other themes that we explore in Kingdom Storytelling as well and at BCA, which is, I I won't remember them all, but it's, um, I I do have this little kind of preachy thing where we use the words that start with Mm R-E, just because the prefix R-E always refers back to an original intent. Mm -hmm. So it makes me think about how if we want to truly understand the Father's desire for relationship for us, 
we're not going to dive into the, you know, to, to, to the book of Isaiah or Kings or Solomon's, you know, one of Solomon's Ecclesiastes. We probably have to go back to the original blueprint of us mm-hmm. walking in paradise as son and daughter in mm-hmm. communion with him, right? So original intent, that those words that start with re always, like return, means to come back to the original place. So relax. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's 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 the Frankie the word goes to Hollywood describes, no, That describes the music Fab likes to listen to when he cuts your hair. It's it's like flowetry. He like he, oh flowetry. Come on, there you are. <laughs> now everybody's gonna go on a rabbit trail. Yeah. Okay. So listen, there's there's words like uh, reformation, mm-hmm. restoration, redemption. Um, Is there renaissance? No, but that would be a good one. Yeah. Rebirth, Which reborn. Rebirth. That's, That's right. why I always say this, like, you know, we talk about the Renaissance. That's re- the, Renaissance for, for, sorry, the, for, Renaissance. for the Americans. Renaissance means reborn, to be born again. Naissance, yeah, from French. Right? To be, yep. So Jesus said mm. to Nicodemus, you must be born again. Oh, wow. You must be reborn, Renaissance. You've got a Renaissance. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> so I, I anyway, go, going back to it, but I think though, the idea of disrupting storytelling is is restoring to order. All right, so let's talk about this. So the first half, we unpacked this idea of kingdom storytelling, God's and Jesus's perspective and take on story. I'm wondering if you want to take a gear shift with me and now observe the kind of storytelling that we are seeing more and more of that doesn't walk and talk and feel like kingdom storytelling. When you look at the landscape of episodic uh, television, even what's happening in theater and whatever, what's your observation? How would you describe it and its intent, its ethos, what's under the hood? Uh, Specifically, when you look at pilots, for example, right? I mean, like, I would say that it's... Pilot is a first episode of any uh, any series. Yeah, yeah, I think that they're following a formula that they have to add some level of, well, for one, if you look at a lot, like, you see that they might put some kind of sexual content. Mm-hmm. Um, they will overdo language. Yep. Um, and then it kind of tapers off if the series gets picked off just because they have to satisfy the networks, you know, A through Z of making a pilot, you know, with, with the idea of exploring, you know, sexuality and all that kind of stuff. I think it's... It feels like the least common denominator. It does. It feels like painting by numbers. So I remember before I came up to Reading and uh, I was in LA and you were still back in the UK and stuff. Um, this is probably, what, I don't know, like 15, yeah, over a little bit over 15 years ago. I had started to notice a trend, you know, in, in a way, you know, it says that, uh, I don't know, what, what's the expression? Life reflects art, art reflects life and, and this kind of concept that you can kind of get a pulse of where culture is at or mm. where culture is headed. And quite often it's actually the artists who, who tend to be the first sent into battle, right? You see the, you see the Lord send the worship leaders, the artists yeah, yeah. first. Uh, it, it, it was Bezalel, your, your teaching on Bezalel that he's the first spirit-filled craftsman artist, right? God chose to indwell an artist mm-hmm, first. Mm-hmm. Fascinating concept that the artists are oftentimes the first feelers, the first mm-hmm. EMT workers in culture, but they can also then now not just feel what's happening, in the zeitgeist, right? In, in, you know, but 
they can also begin to bend things and skew things. That's the power of art. The power of storytelling is to actually, you know, we've all heard, I'll butcher it, but I'll paraphrase something like he who tells the best story wins. In other words, mm -hmm. he who tells the best story is going to shape what, what we believe. Well, that's even what Jim Morrison said, isn't it? Isn't it? He, he, he who has the media shapes thought. 100%. You know? So I remember when... So uh, uh, broadcast TV is like here in the States, if you're listening from the U.S., it, it was like all the standard channels that had commercials. So ABC, mm -hmm. NBC, you know, these kinds of things. Typically, because of the FCC, the Federal you know, Commission and whatnot, they, there's certain things that broadcast TV couldn't do, but HBO and Showtime and the cable channels could. Mm -hmm. So it was always uh, expected that if you were auditioning for a cable show, you would see a lot of what you're seeing now. Obviously, this is pre-streamers. There wasn't, mm -hmm. you know, all this stuff. So broadcast TV was sort of like the last holdout, if you will, of some form of conservatism when it comes to, like, moral stuff. But I'll never forget when it was, like, not just one pilot during pilot season, which is when all the actors are auditioning for pilots, but then it was the next one, and it was mm -hmm. the next one, and it was the next one. And I remember at one point I'd gotten saved, and like the only project that came my way had to do with like a pedophile priest. And I'm like, okay, hey, we can have a whole conversation with him. Yeah, of course. Obviously, some things have taken place. There's some, some unfortunately, tragic mm -hmm. truth to that. But it is not the whole truth about the church with a capital C. And I... At the time, I made a decision not to necessarily defend what, what the Catholic Church may or may not have done, but I just decided personally, I was like, well, if the only character I'm going to play this year is a pedophile priest, and that's my only contribution this year, from my perspective, of mm -hmm. my pearls, is this what I'm going to choose to do with, with the ability that God has given me? Right, un unless the outcome of the story was disruptive in the terms of restoring it to order. Oh, no, no. It was about a psychopathic uh, plastic surgeon who was oh, also okay. psychopathic. And I and thought at that point. realism, why, why do we want to tell these stories? Because like, there, if I watch a lot and we're both actors, I'm like, I ask myself the question now, what stories do I actually want to tell and be part of? And like, okay, yeah, you can do a story for a paycheck and you can do all these things. And But I'm like, what, what do I want to tell now? Well, now you're asking a question about responsibility too. And now here we're here shifting into not just a consumer of story, because there is some modicum of responsibility there, right? We're responsible for what we take in, right? The Lord says in Philippians, meditate on these things, noble, righteous, pure, good, lovely, mm -hmm. meaning, and it's meditation in terms of like the way that a, a, a cow chews, right? And brings into one's body these things. The Lord says we're responsible for what we, for our eyes, for our mouths, mm -hmm. for, for these types of things. He says, these are the things that if, if we're made impure, that's how we're made impure, right? Right. So we're talking about consuming and watching, and that's a whole topic of conversation. Now, I've even been convicted about, actually, I may not be playing the character. I may not condone it in quote unquote real life, but if I'm watching fictional characters do it, in some sense, am I a voyeur of the very thing that I don't condone? This is something I've struggled with and thought about. Yeah, and I, I think there's a point where we go like, you know, not all stories Right. Not all stories are going to inspire you, challenge you. Mm. They could be just for entertainment, and that's fine. Mm. Like, Claire and I watched Bad Boys the other night, and all right, no, despite it's a, it's a the deep, language. It's a deep study of brotherly love. It is, and, you know, <laughs> Michael Bay is a very, very deep director. He's like, it's he's like a... It's nuanced. 
It's <laughs> it's very nuanced, you know. No, no but why did you watch it? Why did you watch it? What, what do you enjoy about it? Do you know why? I just, I'm not. I'm not. I I remember watching it too, but but I'm curious why you watch. I do, you know at times yeah. I think there's an element of it's okay to have some level of escapism. Yeah, and to laugh, and to laugh, and to watch Will Smith and Martin Lawrence joke about. They're funny. They are funny, and I'm not saying Martin Lawrence is a great actor by any stretch of the imagination. You know, he's definitely not Eddie Murphy. <laughs> <laughs> but he you know, does what he does. He does what he does did well. Did you ever watch The Martin Show? Here in the, did you ever watch no, Martin? No. Oh, listen, man. So, you know, actually, do me and do... Because I know you're a fan of, like, Fresh Prince of Bel-Air mm -hmm, and yeah, stuff. Yeah. And, and it was around... It was, it was of that time. It was yeah. of that time. Martin actually plays like half a dozen characters, including a couple characters that live oh, okay. in the building mm. that are on par, on par with Eddie Murphy's work. It's they are very similar. I think you can tell he tries to do a bit like Eddie Murphy, but Eddie Murphy obviously was oh, the original. Yeah. But I mean, I'm so not going to tell you, fun. I'm not going to tell you who I love watching. It's probably too controversial. Well, go for it. I mean, I mean, you don't have to, but I listen I mean, you can't tease the audience like from this. his stance, yeah. from entertainment, yeah. and a point of view of disrupting. Now, hear me out. There is a caveat with this, and this guy is a Brit. He does not profess oh, any faith I know whatsoever. I know where you're going. But, and I don't like all of his stuff, so I'll just say that. But when it comes to Ricky Gervais, like he bought something very, very new when he bought the when he bought the mockumentary of of, of the Office. In. Absolutely. You know, and I'm not saying that but his character and the way you think, oh, they just it was just a funny piece of writing. They that was like scientific what they did. Oh, no, listen. So I watched the British version at a run like I, you know, I was behind the times I was here in the States. I remember still being back in L.A. and people were talking about it. And I was I remember when I first saw it, I thought to myself, I, I'm so confused. Is this and, you know, like I'm, I'm pretty well versed. Right. I've, I've watched a ton of TV audition for it. And I honestly at first I was like is this like a BBC documentary? Like mm -hmm. it was, it was pretty convincing if you right. did, knew nothing about it. And I was, as an American, I was like, I knew very little about it. I watched it all. Like I binged watch in the early days of binge watching. I forget even how I got access to it. I don't know if it was on DVD or whatever it was, mm -hmm. early days of Netflix. I watched it all. Highly inappropriate things in the British yeah, version. Like course, yeah. completely over the edge in, in, in spots. Yeah. It'd be tough for me to watch it today just only because my own like thing inside, like I'm just in a different space personally. But anyway, yeah, of course. there is no doubt. You can agree, you can disagree with his morality. You can have questions about the content, but Ricky Gervais is a genius. He, if you watch Derek, if you watch uh, yeah. Extras, if you, I mean, on and on and on and on and on. He's got a crazy mouth, absolutely. But man, as a storyteller, and I have to say, I gained a lot of respect for him as time went on. I, I don't like everything that he does. I, no, you know, no, you no, and I have no. talked about some of the speeches of and stuff, but some of his character work, I have to say, man, it's pretty, it's pretty darn phenomenal. He's very talented. I think he's disruptive in the sense that he, he's like, everything should be on the table to, to, to be talked about. I'm not He's sure. He's going honestly, after honesty. Yeah, after honesty. I don't know brutal how I honesty. feel about that. There yeah. is brutal honesty. I'm not sure how I feel about that or method or how he, he actually yeah, executes yeah. it. But, you know, f f for me, that element of he disrupt, he created a new genre. In he effect. did. You know, and I like that. So, well, yeah. One, by the way, that it took the States a, a while to catch, to catch on to. Um, mm -hmm. You know, he had a love-hate relationship, I think, with the the NBC one in that, I think, and I've heard many Brits, including you, say, oh, you know, the American version compared to the British version. And I 100% know what you're saying. I, I think 
you know, as a side note, I think that's a real um, study of the difference between American humor and British humor. And, mm-hmm. I, you know, I, I tend to appreciate uh, both. Okay. Me, so, too. Me too. So, yeah, because you like Fresh Prince. So anyways, check out Martin. I think you'll be encouraged by some of his character work. All right. So when you look at the landscape, I mean, look, I think much like you, when I look at the landscape, I think my concern, my question to society is how far down are we going to go? How much further down can we go? Every time I think we we hit rock bottom, I go, oh my goodness. Wow. I didn't see that coming. I think, listen, if, if as kingdom storytellers tell us, our job is to disrupt, to restore, mm. the devil's is to destroy destroy exactly it's to destroy and it's to destroy the family values because he is steal kill and destroy that's an interesting distinction man i never thought about that you know we i think inadvertently throughout the conversation we were we were testing like so quote unquote what is the opposite if you will if that's Mm -hmm, even even mm -hmm. helpful thing to think about and i I, where i hear us landing is is there's disruption and there's destruction Mm -hmm, that's right that's an interesting distinction And you're welcome, by the way. We've just got this download while we've been on the podcast. But I think that everything should be restoring back to his standard, which is understanding who we are as sons and daughters of the living God. The devil's is to break the family unit, Mm. to take innocence away from children and to pervert. Mm. Yeah. You know, and that's why I think I think we just have to be careful what we watch and that's going for obviously there's some bad christian stuff as well and i'm not just advocating that every actor who's a believer just does christian stuff that's not what i'm saying i'm actually saying yeah and when when you say that i think what what we're you know not necessarily addressing but bringing up is the idea of quality which is different Mm -hmm. than uh intention Mm -hmm. um those two things are different they 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 both matter Mm -hmm. uh but I mean, I might dare say at this point that I think intention is more important than quality. Mm-hmm. If I had yeah. to choose, yeah. if I had to choose, I'd rather tell a story as we did. We, you remember when we, um, so when we first got to school of ministry, we had to help out. This is the Bethel School of Ministry. And we had to, uh, we took this creative elective with Teresa Dedman, somebody who broke open creativity at Bethel. And we got to go to, we got to go to, maybe we'll look, chat about this as we wrap up. Do you remember when we went to that elementary school and we taught about story and mm-hmm. acting? Mm-hmm. I, I think that what we did there, and you have some really cool stories about a young mm-hmm. girl, but I think what we did there is we utilized story mm-hmm. to disrupt mm-hmm. at yep. times pain, yep. at, the, at times boredom because there were kids starving to be creative. Mm-hmm. But man, maybe take us out with how you led a girl through an exercise mm-hmm. and how story in some sense disrupted her life in the best of ways. Yeah. So basically I, I did something, my acting technique is called the dream circle. And basically the essence of it is it's um, a place that you can enter. It's a piece of masking tape on the floor, which is like six feet in diameter. And the idea is you can enter a space of no judgment and create. And anyway, the whole class had gone through and this girl like had a hair in front of her face. She was sat under the table right next to Alina, actually. Not to make fun of her, but if you needed a quick picture, and again, this is not in any way to... Uh, the, the character of Wednesday, let's say, like in, in The Adams Family, she... Or the girl in The Grudge. Right. She was, you know, yeah. She obviously had a lot of heaviness, yeah. A lot of heaviness, um, hair in front of her face. 
anyway, it was her time to go. And I said, um, mm. would you come? And she was like, no, 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 she couldn't. She was petrified. So I got in the circle with her and said, I'm safe, I'm safe. So I took her hand. She jumped in the circle, then jumped out. And I'm like, that's amazing. Great mm. progress. I'm not looking for perfection, but progress. She took a leap of faith. She took a leap of faith. Then about two minutes later, she brushed her hair back and said, can I go in again? Wow. She went in again and started singing a song. Oh my gosh. I forgot that. There was an, a nine week thing. By the end of that nine weeks, she'd become the leader of a group. Oh my gosh. They'd written this play. She directed it and she was the forefront of it. And I was like, wow, all people are looking for is permission yeah. with a place of non-judgment. Specifically when it comes to artistry, because we're worried about like, for one, does it disrupt too much? Is it, it's like a baby. Are people going to like it? Are they not going to like it? Does it reflect me? Does it reflect the kingdom well? You know, what's the tone of the piece? Is it the right tone for my audience? I think <clears throat> for me, that story of the young girl mm -hmm. whose journey began, if you think of just her story, her yeah. story there, which is only one small part of it. She's got a whole life. Who knows where she is today? And we hope she's well and blessed. Yep. Her story was under the table with spiritual, emotional pain and heaviness. Who knows what the backstory on that is? Um, and by the end, she was in that same circle, that circle of safety, that circle of risk, that circle of permission that you gave her, writing her own story. Man, right. I mean, if that's not disruptive storytelling, then I don't, then I don't know what it is. And then that disruption led to transformation. So good, ma'am. You know. Well, guys, it's been great hanging out with you here on Storia, where we've been exploring disruptive storytelling. Uh, remember to subscribe, like, download, and give us that five-star review, and we'll see you soon. See you next time.